love this title for my talk, Original Sin. <laughs> You'll get it later. So um, I'm going to read a, a statement by the Buddha. It's one of those gems, you know, that holds the whole of the teaching, but often isn't given its due emphasis. And so I want to, this whole talk is going to be on the elaboration of this one little paragraph. It's so beautiful. It contains everything in spirit, everything. So here's the uh, stated quote. The Buddha said, There is the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditioned, and the unformed. Were it not for the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditioned, and the unformed, there would be no escape from the world of the born, the created, the conditioned, and the formed. I mean, that's like, well, this guy's got my attention now because he's telling me if unless I shake myself awake, I'm going to be stuck endlessly within the conditioned phenomena of my existence, which is the wheel of samsara, the conditioned wheel. So there are three points I want to make. First of all, it's like a proclamation, like uh, in Christianity, He is risen, (laughs) or some such statement. Wow, there's something else here besides what I've known life to be. I may not see it or feel it or sense it, and I don't have any way to access it necessarily just from this statement. But when you place as much validity in his voice as many of us do, you believe it's there. You don't have to have actually seen it to guide or direct your practice towards it, even though you don't have a sense of what that means. So the most important thing is that you start feeling the urgency, the urge, the yearning of the heart, better word, the yearning towards that which is the ultimate, the ultimate rest. And that substitutes, so that takes precedent over the yearning of the form. The yearning of the form is, oh, I love this thing and I've got to have that pleasure and this is my favorite kind of food and I don't like that experience. That's how the yearning of the heart when translated through form looks. It looks like desire and aversion. All right? Now suddenly we, we see the sun or we sense the sun. We have yet to see it. And that sun is redefining the urge, the, the yearning. So we have less emphasis on the pursuits of pleasure in the world. It doesn't mean it goes away. It just means that it 
becomes proportional because there's something else now that looms much larger and is much more enticing to our hearts, to the spiritual heart's intent. And so before it was just being saturated with the pleasures of life, thinking that's all there was, and then asked, is life, how is life for you? It's, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like all of a sudden you realize that there's a way out of all that conflict and agony and disappointment and discouragement and loneliness. That there's a way through. And so all of a sudden that yearning becomes infused with its possibility. Now, many of you feel that yearning. You may not have translated it into that, but that's, that's what the good news is. The good news is. And yet we don't know. How, we, don't know. we don't know what to do. We only know one thing, is how we have worked in the mechanics of life to this point through our own will, through our own efforts. And so the yearning is there, but we don't have access to its direct line, or it seems that we don't. Now, it just so happened that in the mid-1970s, I came upon Be Here Now. And I... I didn't read it as a, I read it as the real, the ultimate possibility. I read it as truth. Because you could hear, you could feel it in the words. So I went right to the cookbook section, section where you breathe pranayama and just standing on your head and doing this and that and stay, staring at candle flames and shutting myself in closets and fasting and being a vegetarian and on and on. Overnight, that was how it struck me. It was like a lightning bolt. It was awakening. It was suddenly the world didn't make sense from the way I had been using it. It was that radical. It's a little over the top, (laughs) but it was that radical for me. And literally, I would do things that were... I just shut myself off from my normal social life. I really became a yogi in that instant. And so sometimes we think of awakening as something that's kind of beyond, beyond us or something that we'll have eventually. But really, it's... I see awakening not as a place, but as a verb. We are awakening through our lives, through our life lived. And that there are moments in which the veil between ourselves and that, between formed self and the unformed, is pierced. And that re-scrambles everything for us. But there are also small moments like the one I had before I even knew what direction I was going. 
is also a kind of awakening. It's a radicalization. It's a complete. It's a. It's, it's just a complete surrendering to the, the truth as yet to be completely known. And the Buddha's words here can do that to us if you give yourself over to them. They can transform us as can the words of any wisdom. And it instigates that yearning of spirit. That you, all the manifestations of life will still be there. But this takes priority. It doesn't mean you have to remove something in order to have the yearning. You yearn around the thing. If you're married, the yearning, the spiritual practice envelops that marriage. It doesn't deny that marriage or distance itself from it. It becomes the everything in your life. Your work, livelihood becomes a component part of your spiritual. So you don't have to give up anything because it envelops everything. And so you can still have a children, you can still have a marriage, you can still have a good job, you can still do this and that. What happens though is that your ethics shift as well. What, what, because as we are awakening, truth becomes paramount. I mean, that's what's driven me forever. What is true? What is the true? What is true here? And so as you begin to see that your behaviors, our behaviors are often off, the little white lie, the misdirection of intention, the, the abuse, not abuse, but the harm you might cause someone even accidentally, it, it straightens you up. You know it, you can't deny it because you're interested in the truth. What did I just did, what did I just do? And that keeps us in line with the yearning of the heart. Ethics is not a bunch of moral statements. It's a guidance system. Because the truth operates within that system. It doesn't operate as a should. I should be better. I should be kind. I should be this. It doesn't operate that way. When you're in the truth, that is the truth. And when you step out of that, you feel it. Oh, it's not self-recriminating. You just step back in. And that is loving kindness. That is what that word means. You see, it's not, a, it's not something I try to form around. It's not a, an exercise in itself as within my formation. It's having stepped out of my formation into the truth. And then you begin to see the whole path that we've ever done has been in alignment, not with the formation. The formation was just an added burden we gave to our practice. You step out of yourself and suddenly this thing opens up. Oh, of course I did that. Of course, of course, is what it looks like. It's beautiful. So follow the urge. Follow your urge. 
It's the most important thing, and sometimes you have to not do this in order to do that. But you do that. You just, you just, because if you don't, at some point you will suffer for not having done it. So I, I like to bring a couple of practice points into this Buddhist paragraph, which can I like from now on. I likely will be bringing practice points, ways for us to move into this new frame of reference. And some of us, all of us in the room, quite likely have had insight. I mean, it's it's still seeing. Insight is still, S-T-I-L-L, seeing. You see something free of words. So you see it differently than what the words, how the words contorted it. That changes. That, whoa, whoa. Okay, and many of us have very deep insights, which mean at the very fundamental essence of who we are, we have seen that we're not who we have pretended to be. We see that. And then it gets covered over with mind fabrication, and we go on and do a business as normal. Okay, so practice point. Live your deepest understanding. Live it. You, you know it. It's not just there in memory or something that I once had. If you sense it, if you bring it back into your live life and start operating from it, it will start deepening its way. Right? And now you know you're also aligned because insights are aligned with reality. So as you start living and deepening your, re- your insights, you will, start, you will start moving effortlessly towards that ultimate realization. Live your insights. Live your deepest realization. And the second practice point in relationship to what I'm talking about is aligning your values in accordance with the values of truth. Now, I know what I'm saying in this culture and in this political situation and in this world. To live your truth is radical. It's getting more radical because we're not hearing the truth coming to us. It just used to be that you hear the lie. Now you hear the lie and many people think that's the truth. But you know, don't let go of that knowing. You know that's good enough. And you live what you know. I'm not, I don't care, I'm not going to become self-deceitful. You start falling into QAnon theories I don't know if you can recover not in this lifetime so live the values truth is one of them loving kindness is another loving kindness is it so to be kind Everything else is of mind. Loving kindness is not of mind. Loving kindness is of stillness. 
That's where it springs forth in its full rapture. Lying, distortion, falseness, that's from the mind. Those are messages from the mind for self-protection, for self-enhancement. Okay? Live the truth. You live self-loving-kindness. And within loving-kindness, you find the whole mixture of all of the... You find patience. All the paramis, generosity. All of them. So if you live the paramis, not as, again, not as moral statements of what you need to do, that's from the formed sense of you that makes it into a moral statement, not from the unformed. And you begin to learn what's formed and what's unformed, what's mind and what's heart, to put it into... I'm just not going to follow that. The mind isn't going to tell you the truth. <clears throat> we think <clears throat> what we're seeing and what, how we're assessing has some bearing on anything, but if you look at the thoughts on which and the emotions on which those are based you begin to see right through it. So that's where the wisdom helps guide the actual trajectory. You know enough about your mind. If you're still believing in every thought, where you been? This is when you can have so much concentration and feel so good about what concentration is doing for you but you have no clue to the wisdom factor of where or what the world is truly about and to see yourself in relationship to that truth. And concentration can do that to you. It can blind you in terms of wisdom. So some is good, too much over the edge. So align with the values and to live the yearning. Now the second part of this quote that I want to emphasize is that, and I'll read it again, there is the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditioned, and the unformed. Were it not for the, this is the part, were it not for the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditioned, the unformed, there would be no escape from the world of the born, the created, the conditioned, and the formed. That's Dharma. If we're just replicating ourselves over and over again on the cushion, you're not touching the unformed. You're not touching the formless. You're touching and reinforcing and reconditioning your habits of practice back into yourself. The one component of practice that does allow the freeing of that is awareness. But if you're in control of your awareness through your opinions, if your awareness has to be screened through your opinions, which for most of us it is, then it will assure you that whatever you're doing in your conditioned reference to practice is the right way. That's what the sense of self is. The sense of self itself is a formed, created, and conditioned phenomenon. 
Are we going to let the formed, conditioned, created phenomenon called me guide ourselves to freedom? How can ignorance guide ourselves to anything? This is the original sin. It can't do it, people. It can't. I did it. I tried. (laughs) I tried hard as or harder than any of you. I got to the point I just couldn't. It was, it wasn't, there was no completion here. The yearning continued and I had done everything I possibly could. So I had to take it back in, into my own authority, and re-examine this. Conditions cannot end themselves. They just keep forming new conditions. And we bring in all sorts of attempts to alter our condition. We think altering our condition, self-improvement, even self-care, I'm not saying these are wrong. Don't don't listen to me as a right and wrong. That's not what I'm saying. There are times in which we all do that. And there's a timing and a phase of practice in which we all do that. All the time. But at some point, you have to realize it's just not going anywhere except refining the conditions we live within, refining our minds. Refining and changing our minds doesn't end condition. It just changes the nature of the condition that's there. That may be very helpful if you're a neighbor to being a better neighbor, but it doesn't help you to the freedom that is being described in there is the unborn, the uncreated, the unconditioned. You see? The unconditioned. Whoa. I love that. I can't stop. (laughs) I can't rest upon my laurels. I like to be driven so far that I'm driven out of existence. (laughs) Don't don't be scared of what I'm saying. Some of you go, he's at it again. (laughs) 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 Just just listen. Listen, because it's coming not from, it's coming from a different place than likely some of you are hearing it from. I want nothing more for you from you than your freedom. Nothing. Nothing. That's the truth. But you've got to see through the limitations of what you've been doing in order to want to switch. Even now this is sacred. This is I'm moving in here. Even skillful means is a reconditioning. It makes it more presentable to us to use a method to quiet a formation so that we can see it. That's what it's supposed to be used for, for for us to be able to see it and to look at it and to get to understand it. That skillful means is very appliable, apical, when you want to use it to deepen your understanding of it. But most of us use skillful means as, the, as an ends. And it becomes the practice. We don't even have an, a reference for anything else than to change ourselves. 
into a better person. That's sad. That's where this tradition has failed us because it, not a lot of voices tell us that we're on the that we're on a dead end track. But you can hear it and at the end of this talk I will show you that you've been given the right instructions, we have just conditioned our reference onto those instructions so that they no longer work the way they're supposed to. (laughs) Everything we touch (laughs) doesn't turn to gold. (laughs) So why is this true? Why is it true? that conditions will forever go until they're touched by the unconditioned. This is beautiful. When the practice is really made to work like that, in, in the sense that when we're aware, we're, we're supposed to be aware without judgment. So we're supposed to eliminate the mind's involvement in what we see and just be aware. But unfortunately, there's this person back there called me who's opinionating about everything I see, in though, even though... I'm told in the instructions not to judge. That doesn't stop me. How am I doing in my judgment? Am I ju- I'm judging. No, I'm not. I'm not judging now. I'm just... It doesn't stop the mind. It just continues to condition itself in the way that you now want to go. You see? That's not awareness free of mind. And so what we see begins, continues to hook us. It's not free. But when we have a moment of true stillness, which is the indication that we're not opinionating, or that at least the opinionations are being seen in the totality of consciousness, which is a very different way of not, of, of not being opinionated than just holding ourselves back from opinionation, which is an opinion in itself, But when we look from stillness, nothing. It does nothing to what it sees. This is so... It's that doing nothing that changes everything. Not the doing something. The doing something keeps it as itself modified. Doing nothing changes the nature of it and the person as well. You don't change the subject without the object without changing the subject. Those two are mutually manifested. You change when you're still, you are not. When you are not, the object of your observation is not. It becomes formless. It be- changes itself. It melts from form to formless and is no longer a problem. And that's why it's only the formless that can eliminate the form. Not your opinions or pushing or shoving or reactions to the form. That just makes it move in a different direction. But your stillness, when stillness meets form, form cannot sustain itself. There's nothing to sustain itself. It's mind that sustains form. It's mind that sustains the world as we have known it to be. It is mind that sustains you because you want the world to be the way you've known it. You're going to be the way you've known yourself to be. Those two arise together. 
The world is not the way we perceive it to be. Not. And it's within ourselves to make that difference. Now you take on instructions to be quieter. Quieter is the journey towards stillness. It is not yet still. Now I enjoy myself being quieter. So I may arrest my development at just being quiet. But you're still now a quiet Jane, Jack, Joe, Rodney. You're just a quiet one. You haven't changed the formation. The world still appears as it is. It's just quieter. It has more space in the mind. Which is nice and is almost always a part of anyone's spiritual journey. So I'm not negating it. It's just not the final action. It's not the final resting place. We do this. No one told me this. I mean, people were shouting it. Few people were shouting it. A very few people were shouting it. And from time to time, you'd be in front of one that you knew they had something that they were trying. I just, you couldn't, I couldn't align myself to the exactness of what they were saying. I, I still was lost in me opinionating about what was being said. I wouldn't let it completely end so that I would change. But this statement when the Buddha says, there is the unborn, period. Okay, listen everybody, there's the unborn. (laughs) You can't tamper with conditions when the conditions are self-generated. See, it's, just, it's there's two sides of this house. And if, you're, if the sense of self is the one that's driving your practice, the sense of self is ignorant of itself or it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't think of itself as a self. If it thinks of itself as self, that's ignorance. And ignorance is driving the whole thing forward. That's the sin. And it doesn't let go of itself. It's a perpetuation of sameness. And I'm not saying that's bad or wrong. I don't, I don't want you to hear this as you've been doing something wrong in your practice. You have not been doing anything. You have to reach a point of maturity in which you can even hear this, where you even stay in your seat while I'm speaking. I've had people literally walk out. I'm going to listen to this guy because it was too shocking to what it is that they brought in. But how can you deny that? This isn't me doing something to you. It's the common agreement to be still in the moment. And we all make that together. It's all resonant. It's consonant. It's resonant when we all agree to look in that direction. And you can feel it. 
sense it. But again, how do I do this? How do I do this? Well, I won't take you far. I will take you back. We were given the correct instructions early on. It's so wonderful. I think it's T.S. Eliot, to paraphrase him, I can't remember, but you go on a journey and explore, and all of our explorations will come back and show us our home, the home we never the home we have always been to ourselves or something. In other words, you come back to the original place and know it for the first time. And so we've come back. Still, like, well, what do I do? You see, it's a wrong question. Rather, to look back into the person who wants to do and what doing does and how it can't escape more doing or more dozing or more conditioning. And so then you like get limp and you get to, maybe perhaps you get distraught or, oh God, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do. Because your doing just f- forms the, mo- the formations. But you can be still. You can learn your way to stillness by releasing those things which aren't still because they're not true. If they're noise, guaranteed they're conditioned. Anything of the mind is conditioned. If they're, and all the noise comes from the mind. So basically, I can't get... I can't... At first, you find your way out. Awareness discovers its way out. You don't. Awareness does. Oh, I see. And how, the mechanism is release, surrender. Not adaptation. Adaptation is just more of the same. It's like quiet. That's it. Surrender, letting go feels to me like there's somebody holding on and then letting go. It doesn't feel like that. It's like, that's it. You just... That's it. That was surrender. This is adaptation. This is surrender. (laughs) So we re-look. We re-examine the advice we were given when we first sat down. Relax. Not, Narayan rightly said that, you know, you can't, if you're efforting your relaxation, you're not going to be relaxed. But if you psychically relax, just drop it, then the body will accompany that movement. And you've done nothing. Relaxation is the undoing. It's not a doing. Tension is the doing. Relaxation is the undoing. So we're not doing anything while we relax. Second, observe. Not I observe, because I'm bringing in a noise which is not being observed into the observation itself. That which is not being observed will distort the observation. 
Ignorance will always distort the truth. So I have to... I have to be aware of the ignorance factor in my observation. And I don't do that in some magical way. I just become quieter so that the distorting opinions are seen as part of the complete wholeness of mind. The wholeness of mind includes the opinionation, the placeholder called me, that's opinionating. And when I hear that, I can, well, that which hears it is still because there's no more opinions out there. So now you're being seen, but not seeing. You're not seeing, but you are being seen. That's so amazing. That everything, when it, you'll get to that point where you'll see without a seer, and you'll go, oh my God. It's like, I should cover up. <laughs> <laughs> And so many of us are afraid of being seen. We each have to work. There are a whole bunch of psychological issues that we confront along the way because this is basically making us naked. Well, I want to hold on to that. Okay, if you do that, that will distort everything. All you need is one word and everything's distorted. That's... I'll get to this in another talk, but how worldview, how the worldview, when we open our eyes, everything comes back in. That is the most subtle expression of ignorance. Not the thinking. The thinking is, you can, most of you have some sense of thinking. It's the worldview, flash, flash. You don't have to see the world to know it all is. That view, that expectation, that knowledge-based view, that's the that's the the most subtle expression, in my opinion, of ignorance. And it's tenacious. But seeing sees everything. There's no limit. It sees all of form. Or there wouldn't be an escape. If there is one bit of form called worldview that I can't see, then that would that be it. There'd be no out. But it sees everything if you're willing to let it be seen. And that is not resistant or denial or, or to, to what is being seen. And that's hard because a part of us we don't want to see. And so that part of us that we don't want to see perpetuates everything. You see how this has to be complete. So do it at your own time. I'm not suggesting everybody take off your clothes and I'm not suggesting anything that's I'm just suggesting bring yourself forward a little bit and examine it. It's not as bad as you think. I guarantee you it's not as bad as you think. Warm your heart to it. Be willing to see it. To look at it. Don't add anything to it. Just let it be seen for its historical reference. That's all. And I'll I'll have more to say about that. Relax, observe, and allow. Allow. Where are you in allowance? All right? It's not I allow you and I won't allow you. It's allow. Allow. That's it. Allow. (laughs) Every this. 
all-inclusive, everything. The Dharma is always like this. No, like this. Relax, observe, allow, and release. Roar. Roar like an lion. R-O-A-R. Relax, observe, allow, and release. MGM. (sighs) (laughs) The roar of the Dharma. And we I will do a guided meditation when we come back using each of those words in a more absolute way so you get a sense of how to move forward with them. Okay, all. Thank you for your attention. So we will meet back. I'm going to uh, do it a little different. We'll meet back at 11.30 and then have a half an hour of guided meditation at 11.30, okay? So half an hour of walking and uh, continue... If it's working for you, the walking within. And uh, during interviews, you can tell me whether it's not working at all or are working. It doesn't, that won't, neither one will upset me or elate me. It's just, this is part of how all of us grow. We don't grow, most of us don't grow in one step. It's patience over time. But now we know a direction because he proclaims it. There is the unborn. (laughs) How are you going to say, oh, now what, huh? Uh, he's dead. He's been dead. <laughs> I gotta have some corpse tell me what to do. <laughs> no. All right. <laughs>